0: Welcome back, everybody, to Episode 4 of Combat Contenders, the Fighter's Guidebook. Today, we're bringing out the big guns with the gorilla, Jose Carlos. In this two-part episode, from breaking the first rule of Fight Club to being an advocate for the LGBTQ plus community, Jose reveals all. So sit back, strap in, and let's get going. All right, so as normal, we're going to jump straight in. Welcome, Jose. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Christian. Happy to be here yeah of course uh so can we just give a little background of who you are um like what what have you done what is it doesn't have to go super deep as i know we're going to dive dive into a lot of things today but for those who don't know who is mose i mean there's so many
1: answers to that question i guess it depends on from what part of my life somebody knows me from but if i had to tie it all together now i'm a little bit of everything so you know i've been training martial arts 15 years um, like most people, we started off young with a taekwondo background. Um, so I did that for a little bit. And, you know, I got beat up one day in middle school that I kind of instigated the fight. And from there, I was like, well, this didn't work. And I kind of became a hothead little kid who was like, I'm going to teach myself how to fight because it was the beginning of like jujitsu being really popular. Um, you know, UFC was finally mainstream. So I took a jujitsu class at 14. Didn't go back until 17 because I started doing the YouTube track. Um, and from there, like, I started doing Fight Club in high school. Um, so we could talk about that later. And then that actually led me to uh, play rugby for a season, which led to wrestling for a season, which then led me to actually go back to jiu-jitsu, which from there I dived into Muay Thai and MMA. Um, MMA eventually led to uh, picking up judo and then finally boxing so over that span i've just kind of really been in all the different art forms um to learn as much as i can um you know for a variety of reasons and i've trained at so many different schools across the tri-state area um you know so i've had lots of good instructors lots of bad instructors uh and we'll we'll dive into all that as we go i mean it's just a hard thing to piece together uh you know, I sometimes don't really realize how much time has passed in the equation uh, now that I'm 30. And I'm like, oh, half of my life has been spent doing this now.
0: Yeah, that's I feel like we've recorded for two minutes and there is already so much to unpack in those sentences you just said. Um, <laughs> I feel like this episode is going to be a loft rails.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hope everyone's ready for some unhinged on sensory. Um it, it'll be it'll be fun, it'll be entertaining, and it'll provide a lot of insight that I feel a lot of the martial arts community doesn't usually get. Um, you know, for, for a variety of
0: reasons. So buckle up everybody. All right. So you you mentioned that you did a jujitsu you started in the Taekwondo karate kind of area and then you you wanted to try jujitsu for maybe some self defense reasons or just learning to actual fight and then you said you kind of like bailed on that almost immediately and turned to YouTube. So what was the thought process behind that if you could Yeah.
1: That? So, you know, growing up, I grew up through the WWF attitude era. So as a kid, like my my thing wasn't like actual fighting at first. It was I wanted to be a pro wrestler. And me and my friends in middle school, uh, one of them had a trampoline in the backyard. So, you know, like most kids do, you start reenacting, you know, WWE stuff. And that kind of just carried a lot of energy into personality for me. Um, and so I was like a hot-headed kid It was like, yeah, I could fight, whatever. And, you know, I, I, I probably took a lot more beatings than I did win, um, but it never stopped me from being like, yeah, I'll, I'll fight, I don't care. Like if I lose, I'm still stepping up. Like most people would kind of bail immediately. Um, but so what happened was, uh, through little league baseball, one of the parents, like he was, you know, doing jujitsu and he took me to my first class and, you know, from there I was like, I was 14 and it was a, a, a room of adults. And back then it wasn't like how it is now where, you know, you have all these kids classes and, you know, uh people not really beating up on the younger folks so like I was kind of like just thrown in trial by fire which kind of really lined up with how I have trained my entirety of my martial arts thing now um so I you know got to high school was like yeah like I want to fight people and so I started learning some jiu-jitsu online after that and I both participated in organizing and competing in Fight Club after school. Um, so that was an interesting thing at a private all boys high school because if I would have gotten caught, I would have been expelled. Um, but we uh, we kept it tight and short and I knew when to quit while we were ahead. Um, and then from there, it, it, led, it led me actually into wrestling. I put off joining the wrestling team for a while um, until my junior year of high school and it was around that time it was like probably like 2010 and that's when i was like starting to really like transition from watching wwe into like ufc wbc strike force um you know i really wasn't into watching boxing at the time and that's something that i didn't start really getting into more recently uh but like i was really into watching a lot of like the old you know pride fights and stuff like that over in japan uh which was such a different era of fighting now compared to what we have now where it was a lot of specialists versus Um, people who are more multifaceted because the game has changed so much. Um, So that kind of was like an inspiration platform and the wrestling was short-lived for me because I just did not like the coaching style. Um, If you yelling at me isn't getting me to do it, it's certainly not going to be, I'm just not going to do it. So it has to be me. So going to jujitsu, I actually started like officially, officially training um, like at 17 uh, and then it would be like little on and off bursts between college and then it actually is what led me into a couple of other things so you know the crazy part of it was was college was when I actually started taking it seriously
0: um and when I had my MMA fight so so you have mentioned this fight club thing yeah so (laughs) so nonchalantly like oh yeah we did fight club at school what Yeah, yeah I'm in my head I'm either thinking like so, y'all are just out in a courtyard on grass or like no. it's in like the locker room you're smashing each
1: other like what, yeah, what so is this? Like, I guess the best way to equate it was it was in the abandoned shower room down by the like the gym space so like we had like two buildings and in the one building it was the newer building and like on the very bottom floor they had like the weight room and they would have like locker rooms and there was like a shower that like I guess all the, the sports teams used and there was like a very small window of time in which like the teachers weren't down there to open up the weight room. So like, we knew we had like a quick 30 minutes in and out to basically pile in all these people into this like shower room that had like tall metal pa- like pillars in the middle. So it's not even like it's just an open space. Like you literally have pillars as obstacles, plus the walls being ringed with people overflow pouring out. It's so, like, I'm sure the camera that I was like watching was like uh, where that little spot was, is like, what are these people doing here? Um, but, yeah, it was it was wild. So, the rules were supposed to be no shots to the head. So, we had all kinds of different people participating. Um, you know, we had a kid who was in the ROTC program. We had one of the varsity wrestlers. We had me, the YouTube wrestler street fighter shithead, who was like, yeah, I want to fight you. And then we had a boxer. Um, so, like we had a little bit of everything. And so, we'd have random pairings. There was no weight classes in this. It was just, all right, everything goes except for hits to the head. And obviously people were getting hit in the head too. The whole point was to just not have it be visible marks, but uh, had a two-in-one record, you know? Uh, we, we were happy with that. Two submissions, one loss to the Varsity Wrestler, which I was like, you know what? Everyone thought I was going to get killed immediately. I held my own with him, and it, it kind of helped my stock just enough to be like, you know what? The fact that this did not go the way everyone part, you know assumed, maybe there is something in this for me. And that kind of was like the spark as time went on that I was like, okay, like, I'm I'm never gonna be the biggest guy in the room. I'm never gonna be the most technical guy in the room. I'm gonna have to work harder than a lot of people to be better. Um, and I just always love the challenge, you know. Like I I always carried that moving forward into my competitions for jujitsu. Like I did a lot of competitions between um white belt and blue belt where, you know, I actually got to partake in some really cool things as a blue belt that were the start of what is really the biggest part of submission grappling today so um back in the day we had the metamorphosis challenger before the uh, money embezzlement scheme thing that went on with that so i participated in that in new york and i also got to take place in the first show the art finishers submission tournament which has like taken off and has been a big part of submission only jujitsu um so this was like gordon ryan was probably still a purple belt uh, brown belt um you know pre being problematic um and stuff like that you know so like I really have been around some very high-level people for a long time it's just that my life path has taken me in a different direction um and maybe delayed a lot of it and I've had to realize some other things that not a lot of people in the martial arts community take the time or have you know the need to explore because of certain other elements you know I I had to deal with identity things um and coming out after my fight so like there has been a long period of time of like figuring out where I fit into this space um, and what I want that to look like uh, for myself and to kind of have a blueprint for others.
0: Yeah, we can definitely touch on that in a bit. I'm still trying to wrap your head around the rest. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not, not only wrap my head around it, but we're going to we're going to paint the picture. OK, so you did you did fight club and Indeed. you were like, all right, YouTube YouTube Jiu Jitsu Academy works for two fights. But then you went against someone that kind of knew what they were doing and you held your own, but you also then didn't win. Um, yeah. was it at that point that you then decided, okay, let me, let me join the wrestling team and see what's up. Uh, I th- think it was because I did the fight club my sophomore year and that's when
1: I was on the rugby team. So I was already getting hit anyway and kind of having to sh- basically shoot for takedowns of, of a sort. Um, so junior year of high school, I went into wrestling, like I ended up going to a wrestling camp at Penn state with the team. So I got like a very quick dive into awesome coaching with like Kale Sanderson and all, all the guys they had on their team at the time. Up there and you know, I got to do a summer league. My first wrestling match was a varsity match because the guy in the varsity part of our weight class was concussed from football. So they're like, hey Jose, your first wrestling match is varsity at 189. Good luck. And I was like, All right. And my cardio gave in the third round. And sometimes it just happens that uh I end up losing things that I'm winning. And <laughs> that and we could touch on that later for some of my other competitive uh situations. Um I either start strong or start slow it, it's very weird how it shakes out um but it, it was a very quick transition into jujitsu from there um and you know the biggest thing at that point was okay wrestling teaches you not to be on your back jiu-jitsu was okay you need to get comfortable being on your back getting off your back getting back on top and then the whole element of submissions to the fullest so it was a it felt like it was more in tune stylistically for me so it was uh it was a pretty quick switch over and within two months of uh, doing jujitsu, i jumped into my first um competition uh for grappler's quest at beast of the east at 17 um and that was open weight because i think back then certain age brackets like up, up past like 175 or 180 or whatever it was at the time is like 180 plus and i was like all right well
0: this is this is what we're doing cool so so you did you did the wrestling for a year your junior year of high school Mm -hmm. and then after that is when you kind of jumped back into jujitsu
1: briefly yes and then um so the full disclosure i've kind of like been a party boy shithead forever um so i get pulled and distracted very easily so like that's like i had like a moment of smoking cigarettes back then like i've been you know going out drinking since like 16 Um, and then when I got to college, you know, I gained a bunch of weight freshman year was just party, party, party. So it was actually at the end of my freshman year that I was like, okay, like now it's time to take it serious. I need to lose all this weight, you know, 200 pounds didn't sit cute on someone who's five, eight. Um, and I was just drinking beer like seven days a week and eating a bunch of sandwiches. Um, and I actually, what ended up being the motivation was actually, I did a tournament Um, While I was 200 pounds. And I actually, ironically, had to go up against uh, who would later become my coach. um, I would go up against one of his students who was like this chiseled statue of a human that's like 6'3, 200 pounds, who probably cut down from 220. And I had just been lifting and I had no cardio, hadn't really been training. And I almost won. I lost on advantage, which, like, it it, for those of you who don't really know what advantage points in jiu-jitsu are, it's discretionary referee nonsense to, like, you know, keep it moving and not have it have to go to an overtime situation. Um, There really was no differentiating factor in the match other than, like, maybe two seconds of a positional hold. Um, But the fact that I, like, was like, oh, wow, I almost won this with, like, very minimal training. I was like, okay, time to take this serious. And pretty much ever since then like I've been floating around the 170 range like I've competed as low as 155 I've competed as high as 200 and everything in between um, which has kind of made for a unique experience because you know the little guys are faster, the bigger guys are stronger so I've always liked having to train and adjust to you know the differences that each challenge provides Um, but that was like the moment where I was like okay I want to take this seriously and from there what ended up happening was um, ironically, through my fraternity, one of the founders was friends with um, the head jiu-jitsu coach and MMA coach at AMA Fight Club down in Whippany, New Jersey, which used to be a home base for so many UFC fighters in the tri-state area. You'd get a lot of the Pennsylvania fighters in the in the um, you know pro MMA scene. Um, you'd get a lot of like UFC guys like Jim Miller, Charlie Brenneman, um, Rafael Oliveira, you know Jimmy Heddis. like so like old school, you know. 2010s UFC style stuff, Um, and it was just a weird way of life kind of working out. I was like, oh, I came to this thing to become a party boy, and then it actually led me into what set off the chain of events that led to like, okay, well, I'm going to do my first fight.
0: So, yeah, so up up until this point in your life, you've clearly been interested in the martial arts and fighting. Um, You've had some adversity, but generally your overall attitude and strength and just – go for it. Grit has kind of gotten you out of some situations or even kept things close.
1: I mean, it's, also you kind of, it's gotten me into some situations. <laughs> <too>. <laughs> like I Definitely, uh, my advice to everybody is if you're gonna, you know, get in a fight, let it be out of self-defense. Don't go instigating things online because then you're culpable and accountable to the problems you cause and you take the ass whooping that you get. So
0: Yeah. So I guess I guess what I'm trying to ask now is stepping into that gym for the first time, which is filled with professional fighters and not even professional fighters, but just people that have been doing this a long time. Mm -hmm. With that kind of like an eye opening, holy shit experience for you.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think it's also created like a big imposter syndrome later on in life because I, you know, at the time I was maybe 19, 20, um, because when I had my, my MMA debut, I, it was the night of my 21st birthday. So I literally was just turning 21. So like at that time you don't really realize how far ahead everyone is in that moment like you do but you don't you know like you you're at that age where it's like oh yeah i could do this i could beat up anybody and then all of a sudden like you go from thinking you're the hammer you're just the nail and you're just getting like thrown around whether the person's light years ahead of you in grappling or just so much more technical and spar uh striking because i wasn't even a striker yet like i just started taking up muay thai at the exact same time that i was jumping into the mma classes and because I had gotten my blue belt while I was there, they're like, okay, yeah, like you can jump into the uh, amateur and the pro sparring sessions. Like your grappling's fine enough that like, you'll be fine. Like, you know, you'll, you'll pick it up as you go. Um, and you know, I had really, you know, fantastic coaching for Muay Thai, um, Nakmoy legend, Kansak based out of, uh, he's now out of Pompton lakes. He literally created my style. Like, I don't think I've seen a lot of traditional Muay Thai people who incorporate so many spinning attacks, flying attacks, and, you know, basic techniques all in one, so seamlessly and fluidly. Like, I still watch some of his videos today, and I'm like, wow, I still do that, and now it makes sense where this came from, and it actually helped me level up to be able to survive in those rooms, Um, you know, and I was also smaller at the time. Like, around that time, I was walking closer to 160, 155 when I was competing, so, like, they would kind of also like let me go with the lighter weight classes for some of the stuff. So like I'd be getting to go with the guys at like 125, 135, 145, 155. But then when I would like pack the weight back on when I'm like at 175 like I am now, then it's like, all right, Jose, you're going with the welter weights, the middle weights, the light heavy And that provided different challenges and also kind of fostered like an ability to like, okay, like I can take some of the hits. I didn't like it as much back then. I, I feel more adjusted now, but... We definitely had some guys where I, I got sapped by some liver kicks. I got dropped by some, you know, strong punches where I was just like, I just want out. Um, it, was, it was a really good learning experience. Um, and, you know, I, I miss it in a way. But at the same time, like, I take it for what it was at the time. And it, there was a part of the environment that also wasn't healthy in how some of the fighters operated, like, you know, like we were talking about yesterday. You get people who kind of beat up on some of the newer people they don't really give them the opportunity to grow as much or kind of like coach them through it it's just kind of like
0: survive um so there were like little elements of both in that. and you so, find that in a lot of schools yeah so when you when you went in there and thinking you know as a 20 year old kid i mean i have similar experience to that you think oh i i'm, I'm awesome like i i did wrestling i do jujitsu i i'm awesome i can't be beat um And then you just get your ass whooped. Um, Was that at all disheartening or in your eyes, was it, oh, I have work to do? Like, what was kind of your perspective on that? I feel like it's a little bit
1: of both. You know, I think it's like the whole concept. And, you know, everyone says like, oh, no ego in martial arts. But like some martial artists are some of the most egotistical people you'll ever meet. And they kind of preach that no ego nonsense to tell themselves that. But, like, you, you see a lot of people who, like, lean into the macho-ness of it all, but I definitely feel like there were elements of that for me at the time because I was still experiencing that within myself. Um, but it did also light a little bit of a fire where it's was like, okay, like, I was in the gym two, three times a day, whether it was, like, you know, going to the weight room or going for a run or training twice a day for three hours a clip plus going to my college classes. Like, I was really hyper-focused on making it happen at that moment and I was willing to like make the extra sacrifices cuz there was less actual life stuff to have to worry about like you know listen I had to worry about my classes my grades you know worry about making money worry about training but it wasn't as like big as it is now as like someone who's entered my 30s where like I have two dogs I have a relationship I have you know to deal with family things I have to still make sure I'm making money and life gets a little bit harder to just be so focused on just the one thing and a lot of people do do it Um, but I, I really realized early on because of the people I was training with and the stories I heard and seeing the financial hardship and recognizing there isn't really a lot of money in fighting because of, you know, the big, you know, fish that we like to talk about fighter pay, um, regional fighters get very little, there's no health insurance. And then you start looking at UFC fighters. Some of them are making 10,000 to show 10,000 to win and then you, you're not even accounting for taxes or what they're paying out to their corners for training camps. So I realized early on that it wasn't going to become a thing that was going to be long-term in that regard, but I saw other opportunities as I kept going. But it, it definitely created the the desire to push myself more, and I eventually learned, as and it took years to get there, but like I realized that I wasn't really competing with anybody else. It was like, okay, I have to compete with myself. It's like I need to push myself and set whatever my markers are. Because if you're trying to beat somebody else, there's always going to be somebody better than you. And it's not even necessarily that they're better. It's just sometimes styles make matchups. You could have a bad day. They could have a good day. There's just so many factors involved. And that's actually one of the things that makes the sport so beautiful is like any given day, anybody can show up and shock the world.
0: Yeah, I think I want to talk. I want to touch on three things that you've brought up in kind of the sequence. Um, the first one is ego and the, the preaching of no ego. Um, I'll be the first to say it. I have an ego, but not in the ways that people think it's when sparring, you know, don't beat people up. If someone hits something good on you, you know, be like, Hey, that was a good teep or nice head kick, or thanks for not sweeping my ass. Like that's like, that's, that's my perspective on no ego, but at the same time, I'm training to be the best Mm. like I want to be the best and if I'm the best in the room I need to go find another room where I'm not the best to then become the best in that room and then so on and so forth so I think I think it is like a weird thing in the martial arts because, like I think it's actually love him or hate him Conor McGregor said this thing he's like at the end of the day you have to feel a certain way so might as well feel like you're the best yeah so it's really interesting that you, you brought that up. Um,
1: yeah, you have to learn where, when and where to check it. Like, I, same thing. Like, listen, I, I have a lot of personality. I definitely, many people would definitely agree that I have an ego, but I think the big thing is kind of knowing when you need to leave it behind, um, especially like, you know, as, as people who have taught before, you know, we, we're in a different position because we have to humble ourselves and be able to articulate certain things and pass that information along to people. And set an example too, you know, like what we set out there also is what will be put out to other people and carry longer and further reaching than we may even realize at times. Like the, that could be the difference in someone wanting to stick around or them completely abandoning the pursuit of it early on or later on too. I've seen a lot of people and even me, like I've, I've been stunted a few years in the grappling world because of a bad experience with my old coach um, where it made it hard to trust again. And, you know, you could really alter the the track of someone who truly loves the sport or wants to fall in love with it by how you conduct yourself both from an ego standpoint and even just like a humanity standpoint
0: um so it's it's a tricky thing it's hard to navigate yeah you definitely got to know when to check it one one thing i like to say is train like i've never won but then compete like i can't lose yeah right and that's kind of like that mindset of knowing when to have an ego and when to check it the uh the other thing I wanted to talk about was like the fighter pay. Um obviously you have to do this because you love it. Yeah. There's if you're no the money, you're you're in it for the wrong reasons 100%. I mean, you hear you hear people making millions of dollars, you know, not even for championship fights. I mean, I think there was recently like a, a thing that came out in a in some court studies where CM Punk made like a million dollars on his UFC debut. Right? Um, just because you're a good fighter does not mean you will be paid well that's right you have have to bring a crowd you have to be an entertainer even if you're not you could be like look at Logan Paul and KSI and all that stuff they're doing with Dazzin right now like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's not about how well you fight Um, you have to get in the ring because and then the last thing I wanted to talk about you have to get in the ring because you're competing against yourself yeah, you're doing that to become the best version of who you are and that's originally why I stepped in the ring is to prove to myself that I could do it I got my ass kicked I took a few years off and I wanted to get back into it after proper training to again prove myself that I was worth it and prove to myself that I could do it and that's, that's why I'm still going now is I want to go as far as I can and prove And compete against myself and be better than i am before i mean i look at my fights from even earlier this year and i watch the footage and i'm like what the hell i would beat that guy up that guy meaning me (laughs) like
1: (laughs) yeah so it's 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 interesting you know so how long how long was it between
0: i guess your first fight and then the second one if you don't mind me asking so similar to you i fought a kickboxing fight maybe like sophomore or junior year of college. So that would have been 2018, 2019. Okay. And this is what I talked about in my, my pilot episode. I never stepped foot in like a kickboxing gym. I was like, I know karate. I can, I can do this, got my ass kicked. Um, and then I, I trained jujitsu basically from 2019 to 2021 um, all throughout the rest of my college career and didn't do any striking whatsoever. Um, and then I started at Chop and Chops MMA last August, so August of twenty two, um, and then had my first fight, Smoker, in February of twenty three, and then my amateur Muay Thai debut in March of twenty three. And you've had what three three fights this year? Four fights this year, including my Smoker five. Damn. Yeah. So it's it's been an active twenty twenty three, and I don't plan. Unstopping. yeah I'm, I'm wondering how many fights i have to have in 2024 to make up for 10 years of not I fighting so that's 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 actually what we're gonna get get into next a little bit so you mentioned you had your first mma fight Yeah, 2014
1: it was it was literally the night going into my birthday so friday was february 28th midnight was my birthday march 1st and i was like all right i don't I'm a Pisces boy
0: as well. Fuck yeah, man. There it is. I actually get along. (laughs) My my Muay Thai debut was March seventeenth and my birthday is March sixteenth. Nice. See all right. There we go. Parallels, man. I know. So explain explain your kind of preparation for that fight. You had been training on and off in jujitsu, you were at this gym getting beat up, switching between weight classes, starting the Muay Thai. Kind of how did you prep? for this first MMA fight? Did you do a proper camp or you were just... Oh yeah,
1: I okay. absolutely did. Like there was no way that I, they were going to let me not. Like when I, t- like there was a reputation involved in it, you know, um, we, there was no way that they were just like, yeah, go ahead, do your thing. It was like, they usually would keep people at the slow track with the um, amateur program. And like, you know, I was going to those classes in the evening and then I got invited into the pro classes, which they had split up into three different days, right? So they would have one that was specifically a striking pro class. So they had a boxing coach come in from South Jersey. We had our Muay Thai coach. And then, you know, we'd have, you know, uh, drills. We'd have situational training. We'd have our live sparring rounds. Fridays, we had our grappling MMA practices. So I was still doing those. The issue was, is like, you know, when I got my blue belt, I kind of got a little bit bigger than my britches and was like, oh yeah, I got my blue belt. I'm, I'm fine. I can do less jujitsu. I need to focus on my striking. Like I, you got, you got blue belt syndrome. I got blue belt syndrome. I got really cocky and you know, I just was like, yeah, like my jujitsu is fine. You know, I was working on a lot of wrestling defense. I was working on a lot of things to make sure that I can get back up, make sure I can keep the fight on the feet. You know, originally I was preparing for what I was told was a striker. um, And as you know, in amateur MMA and amateur combat sports, you get lots of opponent changes very last minute. Mm-hmm. So this whole fight camp, which I I did an eight week camp, like I literally like had to cut from where I'm probably the same weight as I am now. Like so, I was probably cutting from 175 down to 155, and it was like the first time I ever was like doing a proper weight cut and like actually like had to be like systematically monitoring my weight and eating a certain amount of calories and like training x amount of times a day and doing specific things outside of that um so like it was a very rigorous camp like i remember being in the school like at least five six days a week training um you know so that that in itself beats up on your body like that is like some serious wear and tear especially as you're intaking less than your body needs for output to be able to drop the weight um but yeah i remember i i went to a concert in december and I was like, I don't want to go. Like, I had a bunch of friends, and I literally left the concert. Like, the, the headliner hadn't even come on yet, and I was, like, in New York, and this is free me knowing anything about New York. I was like, all right, guys, I'm getting on a subway back – or a, a path train back to Hoboken. I'm going to go hang at a friend's place, but I'm done. Like, I, I don't want to be here. And it was after that night where I was like, okay, no more partying, just two months nonstop, like, training, clean, eating, you know, no drinking, no smoking weed, no nothing, um – ironically I was also a lot less crazy of a party boy back then which I don't even know how that's possible but like I I made it work and that's why I'm like okay I did it once I could do it again um but yeah it was it was wild like I my body went through something that like most people will never experience in their life because it is like fucking hard stuff like you you know it too like I know you were saying you you've dropped around 15 pounds like to have to do that and keep it down and then like you know if you're going in there to hurt somebody, they're coming in to hurt you. Like there's so much mental warfare involved in that too. Like it was it was an experience that like it's hard to explain to somebody
0: who who hasn't been in that position before. Yeah, it is the fight itself is not easy. However, the training's harder. The preparation the, hard- the hardest part of the camp is not the fight
1: yeah that's supposed to be the reward like you did all the work you're here now this is what you get to do like it's all the work into that that literally is is the hard work like you don't i mean your people you don't get to have a life as much as you normally would want to like you're you're making a lot of sacrifices and it affects the people around you too and you need to have people around you who are able to understand what that's like because if not like people will take it personally and it's not it's this is what i'm chasing and here's why like I'll see you when I get to see you, like or figure out how you're going to fit into the equation, but it's not the way life operates outside of a fight camp.
0: It is an extremely fulfilling journey, though. Yeah. Even if you lose, knowing you put in that work to even get into the ring, it is, you do go through a transformation, and I think there is a more appreciation and gratefulness for for just life in general like yeah. like you said if you do not have people a support system around you and by support system i just mean people that won't get pissed at you for not showing up yeah like again like you said competing against yourself you're not doing it for the money you're doing it to better yourself and do it for you do it for you like that's the associate right. amateur you're not making money you're lucky
1: if you're getting a percentage of the the, the ticket sales that you're you're you know doing which is also a headache so for anybody out there who plans on coming to somebody's fight, it's not even just ours, understand that there's a lot of extra pressure on us when someone's saying, hey, you need to sell these tickets, especially when they're still doing the physical tickets, which I'm like, we, we got Eventbrite. We got all kinds of things. Create a ticket link. Don't make our lives harder. Uh, shout out oh. shout out to
0: afl promotions muay thai in new york they do all their tickets digital which we yes. got custom links for that so
1: Perfect. i I've, I've been to the afl fights i would love to still fight for them um resilient is one of my one of my sponsors um and i know they sponsor the events um I, I will say that of all the uh fights that i have been to over the years i really love what they're doing um they have a pretty down for for a newer company in the scene so much respect to them both uh but, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of extra stress on, on a person when you're already, like, so overwhelmed and hyper-focused on this one thing that, like, to add that into the equation. Like And then like, I remember when I had to hand tickets back and deal with all this stuff and collecting money back in the day. Like, this was, like, 2014. We didn't have all those fancy, like, you know, things out there. It was like, okay, here's the stack. Give back the
0: leftovers when you're done, and it was just like, dude, like I'm just trying to cut weight and fight. Like, yeah, co- collecting the money, and then you give them the, and they cut the. It's it's a whole thing. I remember, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a whole thing. Um, but so how you did the fight camp, stepped into the cage. What was the result of the fight? So
1: there were a lot of things that I went interesting. So I was the first fight of the night, first fighter to walk out, and you know what it's like when, when it's time to make the walk like you know it's very rare that somebody doesn't make the walk out right so like I've seen a couple times where people just no show but once the music hits and the lights are on like you are center of attention and you a switch flips in you what a lot of people didn't know uh, about the night of my fight was I wanted to walk out to a certain song and they didn't have it and <laughs> I was like how the fuck do you not have hell's bells by ACDC like I'm sorry like are we not in a fighting arena right now like what are we doing it was the sands casino in bethlehem pennsylvania i think it's called something else now um but so i was like i don't even know what the second song i gave them was and like oh we don't have that either so now i'm like what the fuck do you mean you don't have either song we asked for so one of my other teammates who was supposed to fight in the main event i guess his opponent dropped so he was like hey like you you can use my song and I was like, okay, it's like it's a fitting song. Like my nickname's the gorilla, and he gave me "Welcome to the Jungle," and I was like, all right, cool, whatever. And what ended up happening was, so Mickey Gall, the one who actually fought CM Punk in his UFC debut, was was in my corner. He was one of my main teammates back in the day. And I just remember Mickey taking his phone and putting on Hell's Bells and threw it inside of the, the water bucket. And so while everyone else is hearing "Welcome to the Jungle," my brain is hyper focusing in on Hell's Bells as I'm making this walk down to the cage. And, you know, we get in there and it was fighting in Pennsylvania, which I will say what I fucking hated about that was it was two minute rounds for amateur MMA, which when there's grappling involved and you get a bunch of rats, that that's not enough time. It's not enough time. So the first round, we both get in there and there was this fucking cocky douchebag from South Jersey that like when I tell you it was such a like spectacle. Like the commissioner of Pennsylvania ended up slapping him in the face at the end of the night. That's and I'm not even joking. Like he actually slapped the kid in the face at the end of the night. Um, he was just so disrespectful. I was so pissed. Like the fight started off. We started off going right into the striking right away. And you don't feel anything when you when you're in a fight camp. When you're sparring. When you're doing jujitsu. There's not the same level of adrenaline as once you're actually in the cage in a ring. The, the you know doors closed. Fight starts. Like something just switches in you and. You see the strikes coming and, like, hits your body, but, like, you don't feel it. You're just, like, in such a a go mode. It's, like, such a primal feeling that, like, until you're in a survival scenario, you will not understand what that feels like because you literally have someone in there to hurt you. And even if you don't want to hurt the other person, you kind of have to try. Like, the the goal of this
0: is to win no matter what within the rules. I kind of tell people that I almost, like, disassociate. Like, if you look at photos... If you look at photos of me before a fight, I'm not looking at you. I'm looking through you. I I look through you. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) And it's almost to the point of where, like, I don't... We were talking about this yesterday a little bit. I don't want to hurt people. Yeah. So I cannot look at you as a person. Like, is that, like, do I... Am I crazy for saying that? Like, it's... I hate it because we have people in the community who actually look at people, not like people...
1: But, like, I do know what you mean because it's, like, you almost have to, like, try to forget that there's this other person going through their own life stuff and all these other things. Because, like, we signed up for this as a sport, right? So, it's, like, you're trying to strip away the humanity in that brief moment, not because of anything other than it's me or you. And you have to have the mentality of, I need to survive. Like, I need to go out there and win. And fuck what you have going on in your life. for I don't care how good or bad of a person you are.
0: I need to I need to perform. I need to be the one. Like, it, it's also fuck what's going on in my life like, yeah everything everything disappears i mean in the muay thai fights, they have to. you know, they have the you know like that cat music in the background uh, you know um <laughs> the the crowd the crowd is wearing everything i don't hear any of that i hear my coaches yep i may yelling in the corner and i hear the bell that is all i hear and it is i'm in there like again i don't want to hurt you but I'm in there to hurt you like yeah it's a, it's a weird it's a weird thing not only that but then to get out of it I mean I remember I remember after my last fight I won by TKO in the second round and they were taking a picture of me and I got up in front of the camera and it was maybe like 1 or 2 seconds that I wasn't smiling and in my head I said to myself smile you just won like I <laughs> wasn't out of it yet like I had to like remind myself like you're not looking to kill the camera smile like yeah well, it's hard, you know, and that, that's, like, that goes into, like, a lot of the things
1: with, like, fighters and interviews, especially people who have gotten knocked out and stuff. It's, like, people don't recognize, like, there's a lot going through the mind of somebody who hasn't been knocked out, let alone someone who just went through, you're exhausted, you know, you're disoriented, you know, you're trying to catch your breath. Like, there's, it's so hard to, like, recenter in the moment. Like, it takes a little while because you're still operating at such a level of, like, angst. Um, but, yeah, I mean, so, anyway, to to get back to the result of the fight. First round I was winning. What also sucked was that you weren't allowed to ground and pound to the head of a downed opponent, cause if not, I would have stopped that fight. Like the amount of fucking hammer strikes and punches to the body I landed on this kid when I when I got him when he tried doing a lateral drop and I ended up on top and guard, I ground and pounded straight from guard. I just kept wrecking the body like nonstop. Round ends. Second round begins, you know, same thing. Start on the feet, striking. I'm stuffing the takedowns, you know. He's he's not getting me down. Puts me up against the cage. I made a bad call. I started going for a guillotine, but didn't go for a guillotine. I switched over to starting to hammer fist the body, not focusing as much on the takedown. I got my wings. He got me down to the ground. I tried hitting a switch. He hit the switch faster, got on my back. And, you know, because I was being a cocky shit during camp and not focusing as much on my jujitsu, um and you know, this micro timing, like the, the reaction timing, just milliseconds behind can be enough to, to set you back. Right. So like, I was just so like, it was so close and how, how I was able to a- adapt and like, you know, react, but it wasn't fast enough. So when he started going for the arm bar, you know, I started getting up and I was trying to like, you know, stand and, you know, get my arm out, but my weight fell too far forward. So then I ended up bellying down and like, I was like, I felt like I was getting my arm out, but I wasn't. And, you know, I wasn't really feeling anything until I was. And it was when my arm, I started hearing the capillaries popping in my arm. And, like, maybe, I didn't break the arm, but I had to verbal tap. And I was, like, trying to ride out the clock, but there was just too much. There was still, like, a solid 50 seconds left. There was no way without my arm snapping in two that I was not getting out of there. Um, So I, you know, cost myself the fight by, you know, not preparing properly i you know made a mistake and it cost me the fight and uh the next day when i woke up after you know i, I still went out and partied that night I, you know got wasted with my friends everyone came to pennsylvania i wasn't gonna not celebrate um but when i woke up i had no range of motion in my left arm like it was purple from forearm all the way up toward mid bicep and i could not like it was like you might as well have just had it in the cast it was like impossible to move um and that actually affected me for a while like i had to start training southpaw with striking because i couldn't throw a jab or anything with my left hand i couldn't grapple for a while and then i actually became grappling averse because i was afraid of re-injuring my arm um so yeah anytime yeah,
0: that's another thing people don't talk about is injuries and the psychological effect it'll have on you uh i mean even even if you got out of that on bar and won the fight i'm sure oh yeah i yeah, still would have been fucked and then that, absolutely that's i think that's it's it's people i've heard so many post fight interviews of people who debut and they say i won and i'm still fucked up yeah i don't think many people realize that it you're going to get fucked up even if you win we're using our bodies as weapons like it's
1: we're not in, impervious to damage like even like one kick in the right place could alter so much for so long like you could break a rib you know you could destroy someone's leg you know a head kick could absolutely rattle someone with a concussion or break a jaw jo- like there's just even a punch like there's just no way to forecast like we're signing up for so many unknowns and it can happen in the blink of an eye that you miss it and it's like
0: what just happened and i mean yeah like in in my first fight with AFL i feel like i dominated pretty much the performance um i won the fight unfortunately the kid's ribs broke um he need me, like, in a clinch where he tried to lift, like, he he got me, somehow Need me in the thigh one time, and I didn't feel it during the fight. The next day, though, I couldn't walk. I was, like, limping. I had yeah. to walk up the stairs, like, and I'm like, I don't remember, I don't even remember getting hit here, but. So you, so you lost the fight. What was, you said you went to the party, you went back to training stuff. What was the game plan after that? What, what kind of. What kind of happened next? This concludes the first part of episode four featuring the gorilla, Jose Carlos. Don't worry, the final 45 minutes of this conversation will release this Wednesday. Find out what Jose plans to do next and how he's been re-inspired to step into the ring.